0: This is episode 133 of Alohomora for April 18th, 2015. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Alohomora, where we're jumping into discussing the Harry Potter series. I'm Caleb Graves.
1: I'm Rosie Morris.
0: I'm Michael Harley. And joining us today is
2: actually somebody who's been a part of the Alohomora team for a long time, but she's been kind of behind the scenes. If you've been in the forums, you may have spotted her. It's Allison, or as she's known on the forums, HP Allison. Welcome, Allison, to the show. It's so good to finally have hey you. Hey, guys. <laughs> so, tell us a bit about yourself, about your Harry Potter experience, your your house, all the fun Harry Potter related things.
3: Okay, um, I'm Allison. I live in Montana currently. Um, and I got into Harry Potter. I worked at Barnes & Noble the summer of uh, 2000 when I was 18, and it was right before the fourth book came out, and I, uh, they actually let us borrow. We could take home the first three books, so I read them and fell in love, and then I worked the midnight release for the fourth book, and have just been obsessed ever since. Um, and my house is Gryffindor, although I don't know of how accurate that is. Uh, kind of think I'm more somewhere between Slytherin and Ravenclaw, but that's Ooh. what they sorted me in.
2: Well, that actually, we don't usually have a balance of two Gryffindors and two Hufflepuffs. That's an unusual mix for our show. <laughs> so that's, that's nice and different. It is. But we're so glad to finally have you on the show, Allison. So we're glad you're here today.
3: Yeah, I've been meaning to, I've been wanting to do it for a long time and it's never, I've never thought about it at the right time or it's never worked out.
0: Well, good, because we got you you like halfway through Half-Blood Prince here. And speaking of Half-Blood Prince, before we get into recapping last week's episode, we want to remind you to read Chapter 15 of Half-Blood Prince, The Unbreakable Vow.
2: But before we head to Slughorn's awesome holiday party, we're going to recap some of the comments that you, the listeners, left on Chapter 14 from last week. And uh, we start off, actually, with a discussion about the chapter's namesake, Felix Felicis, uh, with a comment from Fizz the Wisby, which says, "'I know wizards in general are very lax when it comes to safety, but Felix Felicis is dangerous. Besides the possible cheating repercussions, did anyone think about if Voldemort knew Harry had acquired this potion? Draco and others on his side were in the class. Couldn't that have gotten out somehow?' We know that Voldemort is superstitious. Wouldn't one of his greatest enemies, and perhaps the luckiest teenager to ever live, having liquid luck be a major problem they would want to solve? I would have stolen the Felix if I was Voldate and drunk it down. So, of course, Fizz the Wisby is asking here if it's actually dangerous to Harry that he has the Felix Felicis and whether Voldemort would see Felix Felicis as a potential threat in his plans. What do you guys think?
0: I just, I don't know if, if... Voldemort thinks that hard about wanting Felix Felicis. He probably doesn't think he needs luck. He needs power. He needs, like, might. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he would be dealing in luck.
3: I think that would be, it would almost be like admitting that he's fallible in some way, that he needs help. And that's what, you know, what Dumbledore is always emphasizing, that Voldemort trusts nobody. And that, you know, I don't think he would feel like he needs help or trust on it to trust it to Mm -hmm. help him.
2: That's interesting just, I guess, in terms of thinking about the Deathly Hallows and Voldemort seeking out, you know, not only to have—he has so much power already, but then he requires—he feels he requires the aid of the Elder Wand um, to get what he wants. And, I, and, and as we see at the end of Half-Blood Prince, if I'm correct, remind me if I'm wrong, that doesn't—don't uh, Harry's friends use Felix Felicis during that battle? They do. Yeah. yeah. So, and it yeah. does help them out, if mm-hmm. I recall correctly.
1: I do think he would see it as a threat as well. So if he knew that Harry was taking Felix Felicis and was about to face him, um, I think he would he would be worried in the same way that he's paranoid about the prophecy. And, you know, he goes after Harry in the first place because of this prophecy, saying that he would have this downfall. So I, I think he would see it as something that might make Harry succeed. Um, Mm -hmm. and therefore would be worried about it. But I don't think he would think of using it himself,
2: perhaps. What would happen if Voldemort used it and Harry used it at the same time and they went up against each other? Does that just cancel it out? Or, like, how does that even (laughs) stalemate? Felix Felicis' stalemate? So, because, of course, as we know, you know, Felix Felicis doesn't... And we kind of came to this conclusion last week on the show that Felix Felicis isn't necessarily... It doesn't make things work out for you it kind of leads you on the path that's already in existence i guess so i don't know if that would actually work that way or not for harry or voldemort um if it's strong enough for the circumstances that they're using it in but i thought it was just an interesting question that is like is felix Felicis actually powerful enough to be dangerous to either side uh but then uh a lot of the following comments there were a lot of discussions on the uh, various characters' actions in the romance subplots of the last chapter, and a lot of people had a lot to say about Ron. Um, And the first comment comes uh, here from Hufflepug, who said, I want to jump to Ron's defense. Yes, he has an inferiority complex and can be irrational and jealous at times, but it's important to remember why he can be this way. 1. He has five older brothers, most of whom have been prefects, Quidditch captains, or at least very popular, and his sister gets a lot of attention from her mom because she's the only girl. 2. His best friend is the most famous person in the wizarding world. 3. The girl he loves is one of the smartest and most capable people he knows, which can be incredibly intimidating to someone who already has low self-esteem. Four, he was only prefect because Dumbledore thought Harry would be too busy. Five, he just found out he's the only one of his close friends to have ever kissed anyone. This includes his little sister, whom he has written off as young or immature uh, up to this point, and is suddenly struck with the fact that she's maturing faster than he is. He doesn't even know if anyone has ever had a crush on him. 6. He's a fine Quidditch keeper, but he doesn't stand out, and he was made fun of for for it last year, and intimidated into playing worse than he actually could. And finally, 7. His family is very poor. Ron's inferiority complex is not good, but it's understandable. As a Gryffindor, all he really wants to do is prove his worth, and he feels like he's been failing at that. I love Ron because I think he's one of the most realistic characters in the series. His character is a perfect representation of what it's like to be a teenager. He blocks out all the wonderful things about his life that others can see, and he focuses on the negatives. He dwells upon those things, picks them apart, blames himself, and takes it out on the other people, who may be ignorant of what he's going through, whose well-intended attempts at help only serve to make him feel more inferior. Harry has to fight the battle with Voldemort, but I think Ron's battle with himself, which is so often overshadowed, is important in its own way, and is more realistic to what the reader may have gone through in real life. It's so exciting to see him triumph, when he destroys the Horcrux Locket, because it represents him overpowering all those negative feelings and saying to himself, I'm strong, I'm important, and I should never doubt that. Look at me, I'm fighting to save the world. So, that was a very eloquent defense of Ron. Definitely. What, what do you guys think, just from that comment?
1: I agree with everything.
2: <laughs> you agree with everything, because Rosie and Caleb, you weren't, you weren't on last week, and we had a lot to say about Ron, what are your general views on Ron in this book and with his relationship with Hermione in this book?
1: Pretty much the same as Hufflepugs. I mean, he is a very realistic teenager, I I think, and he is um, definitely maturing slower than some of the girls around him and a bit slower than Harry as well, although Harry is slow on the uptake as well. Um, Mm -hmm. But Harry has so much else kind of that makes him, you know, interesting in whatever um that run definitely kind of feels pressure to try and live up to harry's kind of shadow and i i think last chapter and you know the 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 romantic moments of this book are very much kind of what you would expect of 15 year olds who are kind of venturing into this world for the first time um and I, I think Ron's insecurities are very natural and it's really nice to actually see a, a character who's supposedly a hero going through all of these worries and things, um, especially a male character in these books, because you, you wouldn't necessarily always come across, you know, heroes who have these insecurities um, in in this way.
2: That's true. Ron is a very vulnerable
0: male lead. I like it. That's
2: definitely <laughs> true. Yeah. Alison or Caleb, any thoughts on Ron?
0: Yeah, I mean, I have, I have quite a lot. I don't know if it's fair to say a lot, but I have like quite a few problems with Ron mm. um, throughout the series. Um, but like at this point, uh, maybe we're starting to get to the point where it's not as forgivable for me. But I do think it is. I agree with Rosie. Um, typical of a fifteen-year-old, it's good to see a male, a vulnerable male lead, and though he's. <laughs> Just sometimes it's so angry, though. Uh, but I can't. I guess I can't fault him too much. I do remember what it was like to be fifteen, and it's a troubling time. But uh, yeah,
3: yeah. I, just, I, mean, I think Hufflepuff has is right, you know, and everything she's saying about Ron. I guess the only th- thing I can think about it is that even if you know you understand why he is like that, that doesn't mean it's right, or that doesn't mean that you know he still shouldn't be called out in some way for yeah, definitely. You know, the way he behaves in a lot of the series, really.
2: Hmm. Well, and that actually leads perfectly into this last com- set of comments. There's two comments here that were made by Casey L and Slytherin Knight that had a very, perhaps, provocative suggestion about Ron um, and his behavior. And Casey L started it off by saying, I've always found Ron and Harry's relationship very interesting. If you go back to book one at King's Cross you might remember that Ron isn't the first Weasley to speak to Harry on the train. It's George, when he and Fred help Harry stow his trunk. Later, after they've realized who he is, they go out and tell their mother, Percy, Ron, and Ginny, and it is only once the train has taken off that Ron comes to Harry's compartment and asks to share it with him. When I reread the book several years later, uh, I'd first read the chapter, and after watching the movie several times, it kind of painted their friendship in a new light. In the movie, it just seems Ron runs into Harry by accident on the train. But in the book, he sits with Harry knowing exactly who he is, so that they're not exactly entering the friendship on even footing. And Slytherin Knight followed up the comment by saying, "...it almost lends credence that Ron is latching on to Harry, the famous kid, in order to make himself seem more important. He's the best friend of the boy who lived, something that none of his brothers could be. I've kind of wondered if Ron is the one in charge of their friendship." He is the one who leads Harry in dealing with anyone else, almost like he is trying to keep Harry all to himself. Um, for how Ron treats Hermione before the troll incident, for example, could Harry be letting Ron take the lead because it's a bit like conditioning from the Dursleys, keeping quiet and not be seen or heard, or is Harry just so afraid of losing his first friend that he will let Ron do whatever he wants? And to kind of put this comment in context of the last chap of uh, last week's chapter. Uh, we had a discussion about how uh, Harry kind of treats Ron in terms of the Quidditch and he knows that Ron is behaving very badly and he kind of just allows him to behave that way. He does give him a talking to, but he essentially allows him to behave that way. And we also discussed how Harry, we f- we all felt generally that Harry would s- side with Ron in an argument between Ron and Hermione, even if he knows that Hermione is actually in the right. So thoughts on that
0: i'm kind of blown away by this to be honest <laughs> oh, i i had never really thought about it like that i don't know if it's watching the movie or just like making one of those assumptions as a reader um, and not reading enough between the lines that I just always kind of assumed it was that spontaneous meeting up um it like creates that like ideal moment so now i feel like my life is very different um <laughs> i like need a moment uh, no i mean i don't know like there, I think I do think that Casey points out a very good, um, important thing that their relationship is very interesting and very complex. Um, it's easy like to look at it at a surface level, but when you really dig, um, there's a lot of levels that I think Slytherin Knight pulls out in um, in that comment, in that second comment. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's not it's not um, it's not so easy um, not to like narrow it down to a simple thing.
3: Mm-hmm. Or I think about it. You know, it's like finding the most popular kid in school and making friends with them. But so, you know, you may, there may be, it's not that it's not that it's disingenuous, but I guess we would say it's not even footing. But even if Ron, you know, may chose to, you know, kind of introduce himself or accidentally sit in the compartment with Harry it doesn't make doesn't mean that their friendship as it developed was wasn't real I think that Ron may have chosen you know because he was curious or because he you know wanted to be associated with him but that doesn't mean that they didn't develop into a real friendship which I think the books you know for all Ron's uh flaws and and the flaws in their friendship it's it is a real you know genuine friendship.
1: And don't forget that Harry isn't popular on the train either. Like, hardly anyone knows that he's there. Um, So he may be interesting, but he's not popular. Um, Mm -hmm. So, sure, Ron might think it would be a a good person to be friends with, but not necessarily in order to make more friends. Um, Mm -hmm. He does that well enough with the other boys in the Gryffindor Tower, um, and they don't even know that they're going to be sorted into the same house or anything, so... The train yeah. journey is just a train journey at that point. Yeah, And then, like, I don't think that Ron makes a point of saying he's Harry Potter's friend, ever. He will mm. be Harry's friend, and he will be friends with the other Gryffindor boys, and he will want to be on the Quidditch team, and all of that kind of stuff. But he could easily say, you know, I'm I'm Charlie Weasley's little brother, and that kind of thing as well, because he's got these famous or school-famous connections um, that he could easily play on. Um, and I don't think he ever really does that. He He's happy to be connected but not shouting out about it he doesn't brag that he's harry's friend
2: well yeah no because he he and he t- tends to brag more about things that are about him if he yeah. ever gets the opportunity not about harry or his time with harry or friendship with harry and alice and i am inclined to agree with you that the 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 friendship blossomed re- regardless of ron's intentions by sitting next to harry on the train um the the friendship that became that came from that isn't disingenuous but i i just thought slytherin had a really good point with kind of pulling out how it's affected the dynamics of harry and ron's relationship up to now um and how harry kind of in 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 matters of arguments harry will often let ron take the lead or let ron get away with things that he knows aren't right um as we see a lot of in the last chapter i
1: do think he would side with hermione though like we see him go and comfort hermione rather than stay with ron when when he's with lavender. So I do think he he does have some kind of moral leanings towards hermione occasionally.
2: Oh yeah, no, I think it's true that Harry sees that hermione's like he's he he tries to the the thing is Harry always tries to balance between the two of them when there's an argument. Yeah. But yeah. he does tend to like in in the past, perhaps not with this particular situation, he does tend to Side. I think before we've seen him side with Ron over Hermione a lot more. Um, Maybe that's maturing. Maybe that's changing. And of course, in in Deathly Hallows, we'll see that whole that kind of dynamic blow up and have consequences. Mm -hmm. Um, But yes, an excellent exploration on on Ron from these comments, as well as on the kind of questions about Felix Felicis. There were so many other discussions this week and I wanted to make sure and shout out to a few of you who contributed. The amazing bouncing ferret, Blind Ravenclaw, CC mound Shroud, Davy B Jones 999, a free elf, an anonymous guest who was not named on the on the main site, the half blood princess, Hermione duh which is a great username. How am I going to translate this and Nightwatch who were both uh hanging out on the forums. Uh, which is great. Listeners, we we saw that you're kind of trying to take back the forums. Please do. We love that you go there as well as the main site. Uh, Puffin Proud, The Queer Weasley Cousin, Quibble Quaffle, Runel Wazlib, Silverdough25, and Snape's Many Buttons. Uh, I also wanted to do a shout-out maxima, as I call it, <laughs> to Hufflepuff Skeen for starting quite a few different discussions on the main site, including uh, about If Merope Had Lived, Quidditch Captains and Sassy Ginny, Hufflepug for talking about wizard food, Laurel Phoenix for defending Hermione, always good to defend Hermione, and Spinner's End for um, bringing up a conversation about how wizards test for the use of Felix Felicis in sporting events and competitions. All very great discussion topics. If you, the listeners, would like to check them out, uh, please go to the Alohomora main site, alohomora.mugglenet.com, and you can still join in the discussion even though that chapter has passed.
1: So we now need to go over the podcast question of the week comments from last week, which actually lead quite nicely on from our discussion of our, our wonderful Ron Weasley, um, as last week's chapter was particularly focused on kind of the, the developing relationship um, between Ron and Hermione um, and also Harry Ginny to a, to a slight extent. So the question last week was, Rowling's style in chapter 14 is notably different from other chapters, with a lot of major character developments uh, relegated to narration, rather than in moments of dialogue. In a previous episode, it was suggested that, along with Rowling's distaste for writing Quidditch, her writing of romance may have uh, suffered a similar fate. Yet Rowling has both in the past and in this book showed that she is no stranger to writing the humour and heartbreak of romantic relationships, and love itself is the key to the Potter series as a whole. Is this approach to chapter 14 uncharacteristic of Rowling? Could the romantic relationships have benefited from expanded chapters or a different approach? Or is Rowling styled for these relationship subplots perfectly in keeping with the rest of Half-Blood Prince's tone? And you guys had some brilliant comments on this. Um, And our first one comes from Quibble Quaffle. And it says, In the book, although I didn't really find the romance that interesting personally, I still don't have any feelings at all about Harry and Ginny. Uh, To me, it felt like it happened just because it was neat. Uh, I enjoyed it as a way of having a contrast against the dark Voldemort stuff the film completely tipped the scale way off balance towards the romance so that there was nothing dark at all, then suddenly whoops, Dumbledore's dead. It was little things like swapping Dumbledore confronting with the Dursleys for Harry flirting with some random muggle girl that just didn't need to happen. And I totally agree with that. The whole (laughs) thing at the beginning of the movie is just so off-putting and it's just wrong. Um, But yeah, never mind.
2: See, I, I must be the only person in the world who likes the scenes that were added <laughs> in that blood prince. How I, do
1: you like that scene? It, it's it, so bad.
2: It, it's it, the only one that doesn't work for me is, and you know, that's kind of touched on here, but the, the, the addition of the Harry Ginny scene within the room of requirement, that doesn't work at all. That's, it's just bad. It's very badly acted and it's very badly yeah. written. Um, it's I don't very know. Wooden. The beginning scene works for me just because you have the two tones being set very clearly of what the movie's going to be even if they're not the best ways of doing it but you know you get the you get the death eaters flying through London and th- in through Diagon Alley so you've got the threat and then you've got Harry kind of focused on his you know romantic side and it's not to say that he has one because he doesn't he's obviously very inept at it. <laughs> um But it works for me in the movie, and I think it works as a translation from the book. You know, I had the benefit of, before we started Half-Blood Prince, I read the whole book, and then I immediately watched the movie afterwards. And I know this is a thing that many people will not agree with, but it does come from watching the film right after reading the book. It's actually a pretty solid adaptation compared to most of the Harry Potter adaptations. It's pretty darn close to the book, Um, especially considering how much Cloves... Leaves in or leaves out. Um yeah. and, and you know, I guess, you know, the the, the the there's elements of the romances in the books that are that are written to me weekly. So I could see why the movie had a hard time adapting them anyway. Is that the sure. the book kind of didn't do certain things justice. Um, I
1: think I'm just always gonna have issues with adding what seems like useless things to the movies when you've got so much of the, mo- of the book that you're leaving out which would possibly add something more to the movie mm, mm-hmm. um, and just yeah the, the random muggle girl is just <laughs> unnecessary so out of place <laughs> but to go back to the books Snufflebeast says I've always really enjoyed the romantic subplots in this book but I agree that the Harry Ginny s- story is somewhat lacking I don't think it needed all that much though Maybe an extra scene or two in previous books to more firmly establish their pre-romance friendship would have helped, and yes, actually showing more of Harry and Ginny's interactions in this book. We hear about the pair of them spending time together over the summer, playing Quidditch, etc, but unfortunately we never actually witness it. The worst of it is the hint near the end that a long walk in the grounds seems indicated, but again is left entirely to our imaginations. I don't actually think... This style is incongruous with Rowling's other writing. She very frequently uses this technique to outline day-to-day events and indicate the passage of time, and very effectively too. The difference here is that it is something so important to our main character. I sometimes wonder whether uh, whether it was a confidence issue on Rowling's part. Maybe she didn't feel she could write romantic scenes as good as she would like, and decided it best to let the readers imagine it, we all know how terribly Yates and Cloves uh, failed at the romance in the films. <laughs> it's the Jaws effect when hinting at the shark is more effective than showing it could ever have been. J.R.R. Tolkien is another storyteller absolutely brilliant at this. Throughout his Middle Earth stories, he constantly leaves hints and references to people, places, and events you could never possibly know about, but it evokes such a wonderfully mythic atmosphere. Knowing that these devices of Saruman helped drive Sauron to Dol Guldur. Um, is really intriguing and imagination-stimulating, but actually trying to visualise it could so easily fall flat, as we saw in Peter Jackson's recent take on that event. <laughs> Another example, I suppose, is the way that Sherlock screenwriters handled the issue of how Sherlock survived his apparent death in the second series, uh. They solved the problem by giving viewers a number of rather humorous explanations, and never really tried to give a solid explanation, knowing that nothing they could come up with would live up to the anticipation. Aside... I think they could have come up with something yes. just because it was a bit of a cop-out for me. I suppose I'm happy enough with what we've got, despite the awkward monster metaphor. Better to have us wondering just how things happened mixed in with a number of genuinely brilliant moments than potentially leaving us disappointed.
0: Quite a, a, a grasp of a lot of fandoms there. Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's always good mm. to compare things to other things to oh, get yeah. kind of that general context. Um and, yeah, I agree. I quite like that there are... It Okay. As <laughs> as we always say, as fanfiction writers, it leaves a lot of material for us to go and cover ourselves. Most certainly um, does. And it really did inspire quite a lot of fanfiction at the time. Um, and, yeah, I think if we had seen more of the summer, it would have been interesting, but then it's not really to do with the main plot. And if we had seen, you know, this walk in the grounds, it would be interesting. But then again, it's not really to do with the main plot. And I think that's where this subplot kind of kind of fails because it's it's just it's important because it's showing that Harry does have a life outside of his battle with uh, Voldemort um, and it's understandable that it would be Ginny and I think it's it's nice to see Ginny grow as a character um, especially in this last chapter last week I think she really comes into her own and stands up for herself um, and and that really kind of lends itself to her becoming a character that we could see in this romance. Um, but we needed a bit more um, natural growth into this relationship, which we do see with Ron and Hermione. Um, but Harry and Ginny just kind of happens, which is probably, it comes true in normal life as well. So it it, it could happen. Um, but it would be nice just to 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 see maybe some of Ginny's feelings as Harry starts to notice her. Um, as well Well, it also just
3: seems like I mean there's so much of the book when it's told from Harry's perspective that he's just clueless yeah. uh, that you know to have stuff be developed almost wouldn't seem true to his character, although it would be <laughs> nice but I feel like like I'm actually always I've always been comfortable with it uh, with Harry and Jenny but um, probably because I didn't really care and I think it isn't <laughs> really until you know, I've read it over and over and over again, and done critical thinking about it. That it actually makes sense why Jenny and Harry are right for each other, which could indicate that, you know, that that needed a little bit more development. Um, without, you know, not to force people to have essentially, you know, dissertation level thoughts about it before <laughs> you can sure. make up your mind.
2: See, and that the, see, my problem with that is kind of where where we, where their relationship is taken in book seven because Harry becomes super obsessive about Ginny and very protective of her in book seven. Um, like he's watching her on the Marauders map. And when he gets to Hogwarts, like he spends every interaction with her being like, go home, stay out of the battle, go and hide in a closet somewhere. And it's, and and he's very passionate about protecting her and keeping her safe and out of harm's way. And, you know, that that element, that kind of version of love, that romantic love, is kind of like the last version of love that we haven't had from Harry. Like, he has all the other loves. He has friendship love. He has familial love. Um, love, of, uh, love through loss. Um, and he finally gets kind of romantic love as his final kind of bit of experience of love. Um, and that one plays a really big part in Deathly Hallows and his behavior in Deathly Hallows. So... It's kind of disappointing that's why it's disappointing, I guess, to me, is that it's left and like you said, Rosie, Hermione and Ron are written so well. Like yeah. that relationship is done so well. So why not Harry and Ginny? I guess, is my problem. Is and I under I understand part of it is that we're getting it from Harry's perspective. So he gets to see Hermione and Ron in both sides of their conflicts. And yeah. he can't he can't get into Ginny's head. And I guess therefore we can't through narration, but
1: I think mm. part of the problem is that we we see Harry discovering this love through his experience of jealousy mm-hmm. not through his experience of actual love like yes. we, we never really yeah. see him have the the happy feelings of this love um we only ever see him have the the awkward monster
0: metaphor
2: Yes that's um, slightly
0: problematic Yeah yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> No that's um, that that that's another problem I have with it too is because We do jump from Harry being almost completely clueless of Ginny and not really even noticing her to being like, I want her. She's mine, (laughs) (laughs) which is not really a good. I mean, it's a logical that's a somewhat logical development for a teenager. But like you said, there's never really that final proper leap into kind of a good mutual relationship because it's still not very mutual in Deathly Hallows because Ginny's pretty much rejecting everything Harry tells her to do. Um, cause she's trying to kind of make clear that she's her own woman and she can make her own choices. And Harry's yeah. just like, nope, no, you're not go away. Don't die, please. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: I'm fairly sure that Pottermore has told us that they have, you know, some, some hard times to go through after the battle before they, you know, get married and whatever it is that they do in the future. So I think we, we do see that they struggle with the foundation of their relationship before coming out stronger. Um, I'm fairly sure that's been said.
2: Well, Otherwise I'm just I just think it's that up in my head. <laughs> I think it's kind of been implied, but I, I think there was yeah. a l- bit, a few implications from Rita Skeeter about yeah. that. It wasn't definite, which that would, would be, make you
1: know. total sense that they've kind of they've had this kind of intense um, high school relationship, and then that becomes something stronger, which then lasts. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they're at the stage by the end of the books where they would be a lasting couple. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. Here's hoping for book eight. (laughs) Just to round off quickly, we've got a comment from Spinner's End, um, which says, "'Using love as an overarching theme in a book series and writing a romance scene are two very different themes. This chapter almost comes off as an early attempt at a teenage romance scene. It doesn't feel as well-rounded and filled out as the rest of the chapters. At first, this chapter was a little jarring for me to read. It took me out of the flow of what was happening in the rest of the book and threw some teenage antics in my face.' The romances were never forefront in my mind while reading any of these books. I like them because they make the wo- make for well-rounded characters, but throwing them into the headlines like this seems a little bit out of the blue. And I think that goes into what I was saying before about how the the extra details that we really want about the formation of Harry and Ginny's friendship and and romance isn't to do with the main plot. So therefore, if you're going to have a quite a long book, they would be the, probably the first things to get cut. Um so it, it is out of the blue to include it, but it, if you're going to have something, how else would you really tie it in?
2: That's funny because I never really felt the romance stuff was out of the blue. Like I can see, I can see Rosie what you're saying about how there's the possibility, especially if you're looking for a uh, shorter, tighter book, to mm-hmm. that an editor would see these things and maybe suggest that some of it could go. But the the again. I caught on to Ron and Hermione very yeah. early on in the series like I'm it was
1: definitely a canon shipper that was like yep this is going to happen from book 1 as soon yeah. as, you know he and uh, as soon as we have the wingardium leviosa it's yeah. just like yep she's going to fall in love yeah
2: with <laughs> it. to me it was, and and the thing is i found i think more through being on Alohimora and kind of discussing things with the fans i'm actually surprised to have found that a lot of fans didn't see it um yeah and that it wasn't so plain to them but i guess for a reader who did find it very plain i i think that's why the romance of book 6 doesn't become as a shock to me or steal the narrative in any way in in, in 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 to me it enhances the narrative because this kind of this side of love is very important for all of them to learn um Mm -hmm. before book seven i think it's essential you know using like spinner's end said using love as an overarching theme in a book series and writing a romance scene are two very different themes but i'm not so sure about that than the case of harry potter especially when you get down to what is perhaps one of the most core romance or relationships in the book which is snape and lily which Mm -hmm. is very romanticized um by not not just the fandom but the book itself um,
3: well, I wonder if it also has to do with the fact that you know like from an editing perspective if, if someone had said, well you know we 're marketing these as kids' books, so tamp down the romance, which I mean I think after book you know book five on these are no longer children 's books no. but that's what most people think of them as, mm-hmm. and you know as a society, we tend to be much more comfortable with throwing uh, uh things like violence uh, at at younger children than throwing things like love and romance, uh, which people just think is either inappropriate or that kids won't like it.
2: Yeah, well, and I think that's why Harry Potter is so, it was such a unique series, like you said, Alison, to, to put the romance in the way they did. Harry Potter, I think, is why it was so mammothly successful. And what I don't see in a lot of, books young adult and and juvenile books that have followed it they don't tend to grow with their audience like harry potter did um Mm -hmm. they kind of i've i've read so many series now that remain in stasis with the kind of maturity level that they start at they may go for seven or even more books and they stay there um where they began harry potter's kind of an unusual case in that respect so i think in a way yeah it probably was something of a gamble for both Rowling and the publishers, but because it was so trusted and by this point the series had, like you said, Alison, already grown, it it worked for this particular case. But I think that's part of what makes Harry Potter so special compared to other series around of its time. And even now, actually.
1: That's a nice way to round off. Good. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's like that's it. That's all I have to say.
1: <laughs>
0: all right, well, we are going to shift right into this week's chapter discussion.
1: Chapter fifteen. The unbreakable vow.
0: All right, well, if last week's chapter was a building of romance, then this chapter continues that but gives it a really good Mean (laughs) Girls-esque spin to it with a bit of slightly um, more important thing that lands right at the end out of nowhere. Uh, So a quick summary. Christmas is coming and Harry is the target of mistletoe and love potions. Ron and Lavender are heating up. We also get a little bit of romantic spin on Irma Pence and Argus Filch. Romilda Vane is real thirsty for Harry <laughs> while Ron and Hermione continue to battle it out. Harry takes Luna to Slughorn's party. Hermione gets a date too. And then we get the really fabulous party where at the end we get a really important conversation between Snape and Malfoy. So, first off, hot off of their makeout scene from After the Quidditch match, Ron and Lavender are a real thing now. Um, And pretty much anywhere where Ron goes, uh, Lavender is close behind. And this, uh, to say the least, and it amplifies throughout the chapter, Ron and Hermione's relationship becomes more and more awkward. Um, Even though Ron is now involved with Lavender, more than anything, it's bringing their... Um, suppressed feelings, shall we say, to light in very unusual ways. Does anyone, anyone have thoughts oh, on that? Yeah.
2: <laughs> I thought that was just like a statement. Like, yes, that is exactly what is happening. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah the, the, some of the funnier lines for me were um, Ron saying, um, it's a free country, <laughs> which is like such an American thing to <laughs> say. Um, He's yeah, so very we, British. Yeah, we
1: definitely said that as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, so like it was just, it's funny Um to hear Ron say that, and then um, he's he points out he's a free agent. He can date whoever he wants, <laughs> and R- Hermione comes right back that um, Ron can, can kiss whoever he likes. Um, so clearly, both of them are so totally okay with what's going on, with no Definitely, bitterness yeah. or problems whatsoever.
2: No, no, no problem here. No, <laughs> no.
0: <laughs>
2: yes, this relationship has such a long-lasting future. You can see it
3: <laughs> but it seems like it's such an important thing. I don't think, I don't think Ron and Hermione really you know, that Ron could have been ready for a mature relationship of, you know, where it's not just all about you know, being a teenage boy. Uh, you know, if he hadn't kind of had that experience.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that that's, that's what truly makes Ron realize how mm-hmm. upset he would be without Hermione. He already seems to know it, but it, he's, Basically, from the very little information we get from her, he is essentially dating the antithesis of Hermione. Um, <laughs> Lavender is not Hermione in any way, shape, or form. And I, I think it, not only is it interesting that he picked Lavender just because she kind of went for him, but also because, if you think about it, Lavender and Hermione have butted heads before um, yeah. over trans- or not trans- or over uh, Divination um lavender fully embraces divination which is something hermione is very much against so we've already kind of seen that these two characters don't gel well so i think
1: that's an example of ron not really thinking about the larger picture then i don't think he would deliberately pick lavender to to kind of scorn hermione i think he's almost seeing lavender as practice Mm. um and it just so happens that Lavender was the one that actually did kind of throw herself at him. So he mm-hmm. just went with whatever was easy. Um, yeah, and it just so happened that that would then hurt Hermione even more, which Ron kind of realizes too late mm-hmm. um, in a very Ron way.
2: <laughs> Can I just say, story time, just a little bit here. There, I had, long, quite a few years ago, I had this friend who was very, very antisocial, very bad with, kind of people in general and he basically got a girlfriend from like the first girl who said yes kind of like here and like not like a week after being with her he was basically telling me this was before i had come out so he was telling me like you know michael great way to get girls read twilight that is a good way to get girls. <laughs> and I was like, Oh God, like, oh, then it, like, it's, I feel like Ron's kind of doing this, like kind of a, like some same thing here. He's like, I know what I'm doing. I have a girlfriend now. I'm, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am an expert.
0: <laughs> Clearly. Um, then while they're battling subtly about their love for one another, uh, Harry, meanwhile, is the target of love potions. Hermione tells him that, um, quite a few girls are coming after him wanting to be his date for Slughorn's party, which suddenly has become the epic winter gala of the year. Uh, <laughs> everyone wants to be at Slughorn's party, which is kind of funny because, like, the sl- Slug Club is a very small group of people, but for some reason everyone, like, I get, I mean, it is exclusive, but it seems like it's too small to make it popular for everyone at school. Does that well, make sense?
2: That Well, that not that kind of, like, this kind of brings up a conversation we had back in Goblet of Fire because clearly the Slug Slughorn's Christmas party is like the the new Yule Ball, right? right. And yeah. and it, it it reminds me of that discussion that Laura had brought up all those episodes ago about like don't they have any extracurricular things at <laughs> Hogwarts where they gather together and just do, you know, shoot the breeze, like do regular old things? And these kids
1: are just so bored.
2: Yeah. <laughs> they have magic wands, really? but they're just so bored. Yeah, no, I think I think that that's it. There there aren't a lot of these kind of like social gathering events at Ogwarts. Yeah. So they're like, oh my god, like I could get invited to the big kids party, <laughs> the exclusive, and it's even more exclusive than the Yule Ball. So like you yeah. said, Caleb, there's very few people in the Slug Club. So yeah, I could see the competition being even more heated to get a date to the. To this party <laughs> so funny
1: and slughorn's inviting celebrities as yes. well like the, the holy true. head harpies people are going to be there yeah. and all that there's kind a of lot stuff. of
0: people there
2: yeah.
0: um we also find out that um the way that these girls are getting these love potions in is they're getting them from fred and george's shop But harry asks how could this be possible if filch is um regularly and rigorously checking everything that comes in um hermione tells him that they are being snuck in as love potions, the love potions are being snuck in as perfumes and cough potions, um, which is amusing, but then that leads Harry to think that, oh, other things could be smuggled in past Filch. He's obviously um, referencing his constant belief that Malfoy is up to something. Hermione shrugs it off. She's over it. Um, Harry, we know, has some has some good inklings, but it's the wrong, wrong route, as we find out later in the book but just a little little reference there.
3: What struck me is as, as kind of surprising, you know, that Hermione was saying that you know the love potions didn't get picked up uh, because they're not dark or dangerous and, and and Harry, you know, he says easy for you to say uh you know kind of darkly but you know kind of sarcastically. But really, I mean if you think about it, I I'm, I'm kind of surprised that Hermione doesn't think of of love potions as dark and dangerous because especially for her who, you know, logic is such an important thing, you know, really there, there's few things that would be more kind of scary and, and a really horrible thing to do to mess with somebody's emotions. And and I, it's kind of interesting that she doesn't realize, it doesn't occur to her um, that that might be something that would be considered dark.
2: Yeah, no, I I think that there's some, this is the point of the book, I think, where and it still works successfully in the and way more successfully than I think a lot of authors could have done it but at the same time I do think Rowling is kind of considering who our characters are and who what we've seen them do in the actions and decisions they've made in the past she is kind of stretching believability with how they would behave to make sure that this Malfoy mystery is completely disregarded like Mm -hmm. i do think hermione would recognize the danger of love potions especially considering that as far as we know harry is giving both ron and hermione full documentation of what he's seeing in the memories so they know about what merope did to tom riddle senior with a very strong love potion so yeah it's like hermione has examples of love potions being dangerous things
3: and maybe it's just that she's uh, she she kind of knows where Harry is going with this that she you know you could argue that she's just trying to head him off uh, and you know make him doubt what he's do- what he's thinking mm-hmm. so quickly to avoid the you know another
1: malfoy discussion mm-hmm. maybe it's also that she's underestimating Fred and George like the love potions that they're making maybe she thinks that they're just kind of silly little trifles that are just jokes and will wear off quite quickly. Like, she's not really thinking of them as dangerous, long-lasting effect-type things.
4: Hmm.
1: mm mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I think, yeah, Hermione's actions in this chapter are very much... Um, they're the closest to spite we ever really see. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. We're going to get some good ones in a few moments. <laughs> yeah. Um... So I
1: think she's she's really kind of just focusing on her own emotions and her own anger at this point and, and not really listening to what else is actually going on.
2: Which is probably a good thing. She never does that.
1: Yeah. It's <laughs> nice like see her being a bit self-absorbed.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, there, so there ha- Hermione and Harry are having this conversation in the library and all of a sudden um, the librarian, Irma Pence walks by, um, not too happy that they're there, tells them the library is closed. And she notices that, um, Harry's copy of Advanced Potion Making is all written over, of course, by the Half Blood Prince. Um, she is shocked and horrified that a book could be written all over in such a way, um,
1: despoiled, <laughs> desecrated, befouled.
0: Exactly, those are the <laughs> words she uses. Which is kind of funny because, um, like textbooks for like school, like people write over those all all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's what textbooks are for. But she, the like. like Representing this holiness of books that uh, that librarians re- re- um, just want to like guard over, um, just very funny. But um, mm-hmm. she's she's very upset about it, um, which leads to it's uh, not even, even a
1: library book. <laughs>
0: like, yeah, that's true. Like, yeah, <laughs> she's just upset that the book in general is desecrated. Oh,
2: trust <laughs> me, as a librarian, whether it's your book or not, if you see one being written, in it makes your children. It it makes your heart drop a little <laughs> bit I, it was even hard for me to write in books in college i knew i had to do it and they even like were like here's some giant margins on the side for you to write in and <laughs> yeah. i was still just like oh this is awful why am i doing this so I, I been, yeah i made, have
1: like, bought two copies of some books so i could write in one and keep one nice <laughs> <laughs> oh dear
2: <laughs>
0: Um, But Harry suggests to Hermione that um, Pence is actually upset after hearing Hermione speak rudely about Filch just a few moments earlier. And he mentions how he always thought there was something between the two. uh, Which, that couple is certainly one of my favorites to play up in the series.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's a fun one. Rosie, I'm sure there's a lot of fan fiction about those two, right?
1: Um... Nothing that jumps to mind, but I'm sure it's out there.
0: It exists.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, I'm it has sure.
0: to. So they're on the way back to the Gryffindor comment room and just as they're entering, sure enough, as Hermione mentioned just a few moments earlier, Romilda Devane is right there, so kindly, offering Harry a ghillie water. Um and then when he passes that up, she offers him some some chocolate cauldrons, you know, just just it's a very generous gift. Um <laughs> Harry very rudely declines. I can't imagine why. Uh, But it's just funny because we we get this new character who is just so eager to, like, so infatuated with Harry. And we have no, she has no reason to, other than he's the chosen one. He's so famous.
1: She's just the female Colin (laughs) (laughs) Creevy. It's a very similar thing, but just, yeah. Very different outcome.
3: (laughs) You kind of wonder how, you know, that they didn't know each other beforehand i mean obviously it's a, it's a book construction but that you know just a girl a year behind him in the same house that he wouldn't al- they wouldn't yeah. already have some familiarity with each other
0: she's one of those 1000 students we don't know about <laughs>
1: <laughs> it almost seems like she's a transfer student this year or something yeah. like she's just suddenly cropped up yeah it's a bit odd
0: But what is initially a funny, amusing moment for Hermione to be like, told you so, Harry, turns foul very quickly when they spot Ron and Lavender in their new favorite state, intertwined with one another, snogging, um, because they have nothing better to do at this point. Yes. Let's see. How long have they been even going out at this point? A week? Something like that? I don't know, I can't remember how much time has passed.
2: Word to all those new couples out there, (laughs) if you're making out in public, nobody likes you. Stop it. (laughs) Yeah, to see that.
0: (laughs) I mean, I guess, like, they can't, they don't have many, like, escape spots at Hogwarts. They have tons of escape (laughs) spots. There's, like, empty, there's, like, the room of requirement. (laughs) Yeah, this also, like, pulls out another point that's, like, slightly (laughs) problematic, how easy it is to, like, Sneak on at Hogwarts. <laughs> uh, we probably don't want to get into that. No, there are, like, were people, like people. There were
2: people doing it in the bushes at the Yule Ball. So.
0: Yeah, <laughs> slightly scary. But the girls'
1: dormitory stairs will become a slide
0: if. Ron yeah. Goes <laughs> down there.
1: yeah. But I wonder if Ron kind
3: of you know whether consciously or unconsciously wants people to see him. Oh, he totally you know, that does. It, oh, that yeah. it's a
0: and so does Lavender. She wants everyone to see like she's because Ron is like exalted now for some reason. Um she wants to see everyone to see that she's got him, but
2: yeah, can you imagine if wizards had social media? Like, <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> that would be bad
1: this Ron- would be horrendous,
2: yeah, Oh God, yeah, no, unfriend that no <laughs>
0: <laughs> so this this um moment only perpetuates the strife between Ron and Hermione um and it, it escalates then the next day when they're in transfiguration um where Ron and Hermione are making fun of one another um Hermione makes a jab about Ron not being able to um do well what is it they're doing something with eyebrows no he messes up his eyebrow no they're doing something with eyebrows but he grows a mustache right <laughs> that's what it yes is. I, yes and um but then Ron makes fun of her by, I think, what is it? He like mimics her like eagerly volunteering yeah. in class. yeah. And then that's supported by Lavender and Pravati also making fun of Hermione. They're all ganging up on her, um, which this is sounding more and more like a mean girl spinoff at Hogwarts. It's just <laughs> like, for some reason, Lavender and Pravati are the plastics now. Um, <laughs> which is a very strange turn of events. Um, they
1: always have been. I yeah. guess that's They've true. They've always been those kind of girls. And yeah. Hermione's always been different from them. That's true. Well, I was
3: trying to decide which one is more mean because, I mean, Hermione, you know, on the surface, what, what Ron was doing with his impression was really pretty cruel because it's such a mm-hmm. common thing of Hermione to do. But then, you know, I think she got back at him with, uh, you know, the f- making commenting that he's not that great at Quidditch, Quidditch is you know, as that goes along. Um, but it, I don't know. Overall, it just, I just felt like Ron was, you know, going from just being really over the line, beyond what you would normally do when you're just angry at someone. Something that just is goes too far, and is hard to kind of even forgive later once they get over it.
1: Yeah, they're both feeding into the other's insecurities at this point, and yeah, Ron is considering. Kind of the the last five years have been about kind of correcting that initial kind of troll mistake Um, (laughs) this is Ron going right back to that initial you know moment of bullying before they were even friends Um, so it's really kind of pulling apart that friendship in a horrible way
3: it also goes to show just how you know that kind of that Hermione she puts up such a strong front but that she has so many insecurities of her own and Mm. you know I think I feel like she was much more upset by what Ron said than than Ron was, or at least led on by what she said, mm-hmm. um, and it's, it's it's a side of Hermione we don't see very often. Mm-hmm. That you know when she was just run ran into the bathroom and, and cried, and you also see, I mean, later not later on at dinner, you know, she's sitting there by herself, and it doesn't seem like she has any other friends except for you know Jenny, uh, whereas Ron has more of a support system with the other boys in in Gryffindor
4: Mm
2: -hmm. well and as Harry I think even Harry like might have mentioned it at one point but like Hermione's laughing because Ron grew a mustache like (laughs) he's and he looks ridiculous anybody would laugh at that Ron is Ron is making fun of Hermione at a very personal level like Mm -hmm. that there's a difference in kind of what's the dynamic there too like you said Alison Ron Ron has a little more like Ron not only has that but he also has pe- friends to back him up um he's got a support system that Hermione doesn't really have right now so it's 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 unbalanced in how this is going Hermione's on the losing end right here
0: yeah and I think we get a couple of sources to to really point out how Ron is I think he's more in the wrong here, because um, right after this happens, um, Harry goes after Hermione because he thinks Ron is just fine with the two other girls in class, and um, he finds her coming out of the bathroom, and Luna Lovegood is with her, <laughs> and um, Luna makes this, she does the, this, the the thing that she often does, like, makes very insightful comments about people or things around her. Um, she says about Ron, he's very funny, he says very funny things sometimes, but he can be a bit unkind. It's just really well timed. Um, I don't know. It's like a very, it's a very deep criticism of Ron in a moment where he he really looks one of his worst levels. I think I know it's kind of like harmless and it gets passed over later. But like we've been saying, it was a really mean thing to do to Hermione, and Luna's is very insightful about it in her ver- Luna way.
2: I think the the neat thing about that is that in the narration says that. And this is, it's, you know, it's its through Harry that we're getting this, but it says Luna was demonstrating her usual knack of speaking <laughs> uncomfortable truths. He had yeah. never met anyone quite like her, which, you know, in addition, acknowledges that Harry knows that Luna is correct. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And he hasn't, an, you know, ha- Harry, Harry's kind of had one major confrontation with Ron in this book. And it was in the last chapter after the Quidditch match where he pretty much yelled at him. And then Ron kind of deflated. Yeah. Um, which is why I think another reason why Harry's so hesitant to get angry with Ron is because Ron will either outdo his own anger or he will completely shrink and start kind of beating himself up. So there's just no happy medium with Ron. He's one extreme or the other.
1: I think the relationship between Luna and Ron is quite interesting as well. Mm. We we see um, the very first kind of introduction of Luna, we see Hermione being a bit awkward, but then they become friends because they've kind of got their both slightly outcasted girls together. Um, and then Ron is never really quite certain of how to act around Luna and and always kind of finds her a bit too weird um, until, you know, a few chapters time um, when she does the Quidditch commentary. And and, and when um, he compliments her on that, she kind of goes, you're making fun of me, aren't you? And he kind of goes, no, I actually mean it. And that's when Luna really kind of solidifies her role in the group. Mm-hmm. Um, when when ron finally accepts her um so it's when she realizes that he can yeah he can be unkind um but he can also choose to be kind and becomes a better person for it um so there's hope for him yet, <laughs> yet <hopefully.
2: laughs> side note that was a moderately popular shipping pair ron and it like. was luna and ron yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so
0: um then the scene shifts Quite dramatically, when Harry all of a sudden asks Luna <laughs> to be his date for Slughorn's party. Which is so sweet.
1: <laughs> it's adorable. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I
0: love this moment. And um, it's an interesting juxtaposition. Oh, well, okay, actually, I want before I jump to that, I want to think, Harry has a thing for asking people last minute to things like this. He asked Pravati very last minute to the Yule Ball. Um, that one was a little more Uh, No, actually, it wasn't really played out any more than that. I mean, he just, like, saw Pravati walk across. He was like, hey, you got a date? Let's go. (laughs) Um, And this also just, like, spills out. It is kind of interesting because now we're at a time where he's, like, developing however we want to say it is happening, developing these feelings for Jenny. um, But he still, like, is doing this practice of asking people last minute to these functions.
2: Yeah, I guess that speaks to why Harry is so why perhaps the romance is so badly developed for Harry and Ginny and why it pans out the way it does narratively is because, I mean, this just shows that Harry is absolutely clueless. Like, I was yeah. I was just rereading last night because Charlie and I are rereading Order of the Phoenix, and we just read the part where Harry, where they get back to school and chose like, so Valentine's Day, Hogsmeade weekend. And he's like, uh-huh. I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) And and he, like she actually has to walk away like about to cry before he figures it out. Like the narration actually says that something clunked into place in his head. And (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think Harry's still very much in that stage of development where he just, and I guess, you know, it makes sense. The Harry doesn't really have time to focus on romantic relationships um, He's too
1: focused on Malfoy.
2: Yeah, <laughs> because that's
1: not a shipping paradox. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. Depending on how you. This want is an example
3: it. of where Harry sort of did something right in the sense of you know, with Parvati, he kind of asked out of desperation because he really needed to have someone. With Cho, it was you know, well, he was essentially hit over the head with it, and it finally came to him. Here, it was, uh, um, you know, part of it. I think he was. It was out of kindness, and then also just. uh but I guess it sounds like he's feeling sorry for Luna, which isn't, I don't think that's the case. But uh, I guess it's a reminder for him of, you know, for all how crazy Luna is, you know, what a, you know, kind of a good person she is. And there's just an opportunity. Um, unlike the ball, he didn't really need to have somebody except for, you know, to avoid other girls getting in the way. Uh, but it was just a really good Good thing for him to do. And then finally, something he thought he would actually probably enjoy, at least instinctually, he did.
4: Yeah, Yeah.
1: he does consider Luna to be his friend. And I think that's a very important realization that he's got here that, you know, oh, yeah, he does know more girls than just Ginny and Hermione. And he could actually have an interesting conversation with someone who would not really matter to the rest of the school. He doesn't care what anyone else thinks. He's just going to go because it's something that might interest him.
2: Well, yeah, and I like, too, that he he basically clarifies, like, we're going as just friends. Just a friend. yeah. <laughs> yes. And She's like, yes, friends. I so love going that, as
0: friends. That, that's a, friends that's is even a good better point. for her. <laughs> that's a good point to bring up because Peeves comes along with impeccable timing to make fun of them. Um, about them being uh, going to the party together. Do we think that Luna ever considered it was that he thought of her as more than a friend? I mean, for me, it it reads pretty clear that Luna also is on the same page as Harry that they're just friends. But I had to wonder if she ever considered it. Mm, I am, you know, it's funny.
2: This is this is maybe this is one of those things that I just read and I was like, is Luna doing? like, a passive-aggressive girl thing. Because <laughs> she she keeps rubbing... Then you know, because it's Luna, it's a little different. But she keeps rubbing in the point where she's like,
1: oh, yes, I'd love to go as friends. Nobody's asked me uh, to anything as a friend. As a friend. Friend, <laughs>
2: friend, friend, friend. And I'm just like, hmm, does she, like... Ex-? Like?" And the thing is, I could see Luna just not really... Like, even if she did have feelings for Harry or wondered if that why was why he was asking, like, the clarification doesn't bother her. Like, she's not upset or disappointed. She's just like,
1: no. oh, okay.
2: <laughs> she just rolls with it. If
1: anything, I think she's making fun of him. Mm. Mm. Like, I think, I don't know, I think Luna doesn't have enough actual friends to consider him as anything other than a friend. Like, she's she's very grateful to have friends with, to be friends with Harry and with Ginny, um, and and to to have actual friendship experiences that she doesn't really worry too much about the rest of that kind of stuff yet, as far as we know. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what I was thinking too,
3: Rosie. I think she's, I think she was completely sincere, actually. I think, you know, just having friends is still kind of a genuine friends is kind of a new concept for her. And she's just so excited to have anyone who would think of her as a friend. And, you know, on book seven, we kind of see that reflected in that mural that she has where just the concept of friendship is uh you know probably better than romance because it's
1: something she's probably longed for her entire life and the fact that he's actually saying we are friends at this point is is almost like a trophy to her so him him awkwardly saying we're only friends to her is saying we are friends it's brilliant isn't it it's Mm -hmm. good so i think that's why she would then go and kind of talk about it to Ginny as well like even if she then actually goes repeats that same phrase harry asked me to the to the party as a friend it's still kind of it's it's important to her mm-hmm. um and it's really sweet and i think it definitely earns harry some brownie points with ginny later on
2: <laughs> oh yeah and in the end Luna's is going to pair up with rolf commander, so it's fine <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she marries into the scamander family that's a that's a good family to marry into they've got their own movie
0: so <laughs> so later at dinner um there's an interesting interaction with Pravati um, that I just wanted to point out. Um, so Pravati and Lavender join Harry and Ron at dinner, and it's um, interesting to note that Pravati also seems annoyed with the Ron Lavender situation. She and Harry share a moment, and she sees Hermione, who's kind of sitting off by herself, and she greets Hermione, uh, Hermione, and seems to feel really bad about laughing at her earlier in Transfiguration. Um, it's just this typical thing. I don't know if it's fair to say typical, but, um, amusing thing that, um, she was fine with making fun of her earlier in the moment. Um, but now for some reason wants to, to mend defense with Hermione, even though the two of them aren't really close. So it's, I always wondered why she felt the need to reach out to Hermione in this moment, especially when Lavender is right there. I think,
2: I think it's despite Lavender because... She's annoyed with her. Yeah, because Parv- yeah, Parv- Parvati and Harry are sitting there being like, hey, fellow third wheel. This sucks, <laughs> doesn't it? <Right. laughs> so I think, yeah, I, I think Parvati's looking to try and get Lavender's attention.
0: That's
1: fair. I think she so. genuinely feels bad for Hermione as well. Like, she saw that it hurt her. Um, and I mean, these girls have to share a bedroom. Yeah. they They have to have some kind of friendship and tolerance for each other. And I think Hermione and Pavarti would get a lot, get on better than Hermione and Lavender would. Um, they're not going to be friends, but they, or they're not going to be best friends, but they are going to be kind of friends enough that they would talk to each other from time to time. And, you know, Pavarti has got a, a twin in Ravenclaw and Hermione is, you know, the closest to Ravenclaw this Gryffindor group has gotten. So <laughs>
4: yeah.
1: I think there would be some kind of friendship and, and respect for each other that Pavarti Possibly, you know, she, she feels that she crossed a line and is trying to repair some of that boundary.
2: And as you say that, Rosie, uh, Hermione Parvati fanfic just pops onto the internet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this episode has got to be called The Shipping Forecast yeah. or something. It's, it's ridiculous.
0: But Parvati bringing Hermione into the conversation isn't pointless because it's a means for us to find out that she has, in fact, asked... Cormac McLaggen to Slughorn's party. <laughs> like I have said, it is such a mean girls moment because yeah. of this is such like it's an awful but it's an awesome moment for Hermione because <laughs> uh this breaks Ron from snogging or whatever he's doing with Lavner. He like surface, Sunday noise. To, yeah, <laughs> he, he surfaces so to figure out what's going on. And um Hermione notes that he was almost the keeper of the Gryffindor team and um I think it's provided that it ass says, Oh, you really like Quidditch players. I really like, I like really good Quidditch <laughs> players. <laughs> um, just so wonderful. You know, and it's funny cause the, I
2: didn't, I, I didn't realize this until I had read the book and then watched the movie again. But, um, something that the movie hit that I thought the book missed the potential of. And I love that bit of dialogue is when Harry and Hermione are in the library in the movie. And Harry's like, I thought you and I could go together. And Hermione's like, why didn't I think of that?
0: And it seems like such an (laughs) obvious
2: thing. Because, I mean, really, and, you know, in a way, what, and I don't think Hermione, because Hermione and Harry are so aloof about this, uh, uh, this feeling of Ron's, it wouldn't have been out of spite. But wouldn't it have been something if Hermione and Harry had gone together? Like, Ron's reaction would have been, I think, times 20 of what we see here. Um, I think that would have been even worse for him than the Cormac. So, thing.
0: so. It is to note that Harry says he was left to to ponder in silence the depth to which girls would sink to get revenge.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's pretty
2: amazing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's just so true. It's it would happen, and it's just so bad. Yep,
2: yep. This is the thing that happens in life. <laughs>
0: Poor girls. They're, they're they're subject to such awful things in school gosh <laughs> well that yeah that, that's something i've actually like
2: asked female friends of mine because i even had one friend who was just like we we have this group of friends and there was one friend who didn't like another girl in the group and i said why don't you like her and she was like i don't know <laughs> I was like <laughs> you so you don't have a reason she's like no i just i just don't like her and i said but you're so nice to her all the time and she's like yeah but i don't like her it's <laughs> <was> like okay <laughs> and that's like that was like something i saw frequently in that group dynamic and i'm not saying this is a blanket statement for all boys and girls because it is different definitely from person to person but what i've generally seen is that boys tend to since since certain groups of boys don't tend to confront each other on an emotional level they tend to just be very plain about what they're if they even bother to talk about it at all like harry and ron who kind of just avoid this discussion um Mm -hmm. entirely versus girls who have kind of they have pl- plans in mind. Um, they have a kind of a foresight for what they want. Um, they look ahead a little more. And so they kind of... If there's other girls in their way, it can get kind of scary. <laughs> and <laughs> that's definitely what's happening here. Like, there's, there's just more... There's the more elaborate tangled web that's being weaved here on the girls' end. Yeah. So. I think
1: it's really interesting to see... Hermione's progression to this point as well mm-hmm. if you think back to how she acted around the yule ball and and um her relationship with Victor um and how she kind of didn't really think about Ron's reactions too much other than you know if if you should have asked me first all of that kind of stuff whereas here it's proving that she can play the games that she's seen others play mm-hmm. um so Ron is practicing at at relationships and Hermione is practicing at being the kind of girl that she now thinks Ron might be interested in. If if Ron is so interested in lavender, then this is Hermione becoming closer to Lavender than we've ever seen her before. That's true. Um and it's kind of it's something that we wouldn't really think that Hermione would do. Um, this very much mean girls esque um playing with people's emotions and, and deliberately picking the person that she knows would hurt him the most. The most, the person who is most like Crumb, in fact, that we could get in this book. Mm. Um, and I yeah, it's like it in a way crumb. that it just
3: shows that uh, that Hermione is more of a three dimensional person. Even yeah. if we're seeing a side of Hermione that isn't very good, you she's know, it also human, demonstrates book it's book so poem. you know. And Harry always thinks she's kind of just one of the guys, and it's yeah. it's one of the examples where you know it's obvious even to Harry that she really is a girl and you know, kind of reacts a little differently maybe than he would.
1: Mm -hmm. This emotional range is much more than a teaspoon.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Quite a bit. (laughs) (laughs) So we finally get to this, um, highly anticipated party. And Harry's a little worried about what Luna might show up in, but (laughs) she, she does a, a really great job. She says, it describes it as spangled silver robes. And Harry says she looks quite, quite nice. And, uh, she she mentions to Harry or no, he mentions to her rather that there's rumors of a vampire coming and Luna re- points out that, oh, well, this it's probably Rufus Scrimjar because <laughs> um, he, he's a he's a known vampire who's trying to hide it. Um, that would be an interesting sh- shift in plot if that had been true. I always
2: thought it would be fun because it it doesn't work quite the same way I've tried. And, you know, maybe listeners, you can pull something out of this. But I've always thought it it, like whenever I come upon Luna's crazy pronouncements about the wizarding world, I always kind of try to link them in the same way that we do with Trelawney's stuff, where she Mm -hmm. makes predictions by accident or she doesn't even realize she's actually predicting something that's correct. Like, I always thought, is there like credence to anything Luna says? Mm-hmm. Because, of course, the twist in Deathly Hallows is that for all these crazy things they believe, one of them is mo- one of the most core things of Deathly Hallows. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that idea that maybe there's some nugget of truth to what Luna says, but if it's maybe, if there's a different way to translate what she says to make it correct. But I haven't found yeah, one. Yeah, I thought
3: it was the same thing. Although what I kind of think is... That you know, the Love Goods is more of a, you know, a statement on the media, on the tabloid media, mm-hmm. that you know, for yeah. all their craziness Occasionally, they get something right. <laughs>
2: That's true.
0: Well, for all of the buildup for the party, we don't get too much from the event itself. Um, we get a quick description of it. It seems like it's a pretty rad place, um, despite there only being a few people in the Slug Club. It seems like there's quite a few people there, special guests of... Slughorns, Um, there's a lot of decor. Harry noticed there are some real fairies lighting the place up. There's some loud singing, your typical pipe smoke at this kind of party. Um, And then Harry runs into the vampire, Sanguini, who looks bored, which I think is just really funny because it's not at all what you... Like, well, I take that back. Maybe it is sort of typical for a vampire when they're, like, forced to be around a lot of of humans that maybe would rather be eating. But um, (laughs) it's just very... Like, there's this... For me, when I read this, I was like, oh, a vampire. We've never really had this in Harry Potter. I can't wait to see what's going to happen. <laughs> it's just so anticlimactic.
2: Yeah, the, um, <laughs> vampire really comes of it. vampires and, and zombies kind of go hand-in-hand in, hand in the Harry Potter universe. Like, we don't see that much of them. Because yeah. Inferior, as Rowling has declared, are not zombies. Zombies are something else. And they do exist in her world, just not in... Um, not in the way that's traditional and it's kind of funny because sanguini is definitely also not perhaps the traditional vampire if you listeners if you've ever had um if you if you can look them up either on the harry potter wiki or they're included in the harry potter prisoner of azkaban video game there are five vampires who are detailed on wizard cards Uh um and they're fantastic there's a lot of great vampire history there's like a There was a vampire, there's a vampire who like bathed in blood and there was one who like sang his victims to into like a stupor before he bit them. It's very creative. She does get very creative with her vampire mythology. So
0: more of the scene is taken up by the guy that's with him, Eldred Warple, who is writing, I guess like a biography um, about the vampire, but, and now of course wants to write a biography about Harry. Um, Got to jump Harry on fin- that
2: before Rita Skeeter gets to it, right?
0: Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ooh, I wonder if they're like bitter rivals, rivals. In a way. Ooh. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, but Harry finally finds Hermione, who has, um, um, who has escaped Cormac. She admits that she asked him just to annoy Ron. It seems like she's probably dreading that decision right now. But funnily enough, she po- uh, says that she debated between asking him and Zachariah Smith, who... That would just have been a bad choice all around. Like that gets no one upset for the right reasons,
1: <laughs> and I don't think Zacharias would ever accept either. That's like,
0: probably true. Cormac
1: is kind of trying to get closer to Harry, so he's probably using Hermione for that, or is just thinking, you know, he's Cormac and, Maclark, and Of course, Hermione Granger is going to ask him, yeah. um, but Zacharias would kind of go, "What? No." Um, but I think it's interesting that Hermione literally never considered Harry. Mm -hmm. for all of those harry and hermione shippers out there they think of each other as brother and sister they would go as friends they would possibly but you know she would never consider harry as her date for this party
2: no i'd Mm. i'd ask harry to go to the party just saying (laughs)
0: <laughs> and then Trelawney rolls in, probably has had a few things to drink. Um, <laughs> she, she doesn't, she, she brings up um, divination class and how Forensi, however you say his name, is teaching divination now. Um, she calls him Dobbin, which is such <laughs> a random name. What does um, that,
3: does, it, does that, that explain
1: anywhere else? I was wondering about yeah, that. What does that you mean? You guys don't have Dobbin? What's Dobbin? So Dobbin is, Dobbin is like a traditional pantomime horse name. Oh, oh! It, it's a it's a derogatory name for a, a pack horse, basically. Oh. It's, yeah, it's, it's it's quite funny in English. Oh,
2: that's <laughs> funny! I... A
1: derogatory name for what? Sorry. Um. So it's it's like um a traditional kind of pantomime horse, or um I think it's like a I think there was a character that was like Dobbin the Mule. Um. So it, it's it's very much um just making fun of him. Um, and saying that he he's nothing more than, you know, a donkey.
2: Oh. He's, he's not a centaur. I bet that would, like, I think in the US, probably the only crowd that would go down with well are, like, horse enthusiasts. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm
1: surprised, actually, that that wasn't translated for you guys into something I don't know
0: what it would be translated
2: similar. to. I think that makes sense because the, by, and Eric talked about this a few episodes back, but I think around order of the phoenix they kind of stopped doing heavy alterations to the books right when they brought them over to the u.s so they kind of just were like well if they don't get it they don't get it these books are these books are very british and they have to kind of stay that way so there there were a lot of jokes and words that ended up not being switched so i think this is i'm
1: gonna do a quick google of dobbin to make sure i've got (laughs) oh no you do you
2: do I, i i googled it and it was it's like another name for like a horse and things like yeah. yeah yeah you're you're in I guess
1: that's one of those
3: things that maybe they thought that you know it sounds kind of weird and funny that they didn't need to translate it anyway uh, even though British people obviously would get the joke uh, much more than than we yeah. would.
2: It's basically yeah it's it's like it's let's see a, a farm horse or a quiet, plodding horse. Yeah, she's she's insulting him, is what she's doing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we finally get to the moment of the chapter where something substantively important happens because Snape shows up at the party, you know, the party animal that he is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's a brief conversation because Slughorn is with Harry at this point and they're talking about um, Harry... Slughorn um, compliments Harry on his wonderful skills in potions, um, and potions and... It's an interesting conversation because while Snape is skeptical of Harry's potion making skills, having um, been his professor, um, the skills he's getting are from the Half-Blood Prince's book, which of course we know is Snape. So there's a lot of like Mm -hmm. interesting levels going on here.
2: Yeah. It's, it's interesting that I don't think that I don't think Snape knows it has the whole puzzle together, but this is, I think the first time where Snape's, suspicious that something's wrong yeah because slughorn's like oh he's he's a dab hand at potions he's <laughs> amazing at this and yeah. seems so like really that's interesting i've never seen that um and yeah that's it's i don't he doesn't have the he doesn't figure it out i don't think he figures out the book until the sectum semper bit with malfoy then he puts it all together mm, right? but yeah but he's i think he's realizing like oh He's put on notice there's yeah. something up yeah he's noticed
0: um, so this conversation leads to Harry talking about wanting to be an R because Slughorn asks him what classes he's taking and just a funny slight a quick funny moment from Luna um, who says that he should not become an R because they are part of the rot Fang conspiracy and that conspiracy is working to bring down the ministry using dark ma- dark magic and of course gum disease. Of details,
2: opening. Luna. Details. I want details. <laughs> this sounds absolutely fascinating.
0: <laughs> but what's really important is that all of a sudden Malfoy is seen trying to get into the party. Uh, Filch has caught him, though. And um, Harry notices that Malfoy looks very off. He he realizes he hasn't seen Malfoy up close for a while. But he noticed that Malfoy looks ill. There are shadows under his eyes. And uh, he has a grayish tinge to his skin. Ugh. And uh, even though Slughorn is willing to let Malfoy stay at the party, um, Snape escorts him away, saying they need to talk. And Harry immediately takes this opportunity to pull out his invisibility cloak that is always available <laughs> and uh, follows Snape and Malfoy. It, it takes him a while to find out where they are, but he reaches um, the uh, the classroom in which they are talking. And it starts off pretty vague. Snape is um, talking about Malfoy making mistakes and not how he shouldn't be so clumsy um, and how Draco's suspected of being involved. And pretty quickly it becomes clear they're talking about the necklace and Katie Bell. So Harry, of course, assumed it was Malfoy that did it, but now maybe it seems like Malfoy wasn't the one involved. Um, We also find out that Draco is learning occlumency from Bellatrix as Snape tries to um, use Legillamens on him, probably. And then things get pretty pretty heated between the two. Draco is really defiant of Snape, says that he doesn't want Snape butting into his business. And Harry on the outso- outside can't believe that Malfoy would talk to Snape like this. Snape, who Malfoy has always loved and um, has been his like idol at-, at Hogwarts, the one he always sucks up to. Um, and then we find out that Draco has been avoiding Snape, And then Snape drops the unbreakable vowel bomb, which, of course, we the readers already know because we got to see it at the beginning of the book. But Harry um, does not know about this. And Malfoy alludes to, it's it's my job. He gave it to me and I'm doing it. But he won't tell Snape the plan. Mm. So Harry listening is probably getting a lot of affirmation right now because all along he has thought that Malfoy is up to something. And this is very suggestive that the he that it gave Malfoy something to do. So obviously, Lord Voldemort. And another interesting point is that um, Snape seems to show some real care for for Malfoy. Um, Malfoy points out that he's um, doesn't really care about Defense Against the Dark Arts class because it doesn't matter about defending against the dark arts, just using them. But Mal- uh, Snape is telling him that he needs it to protect himself, talking about his own experience and just. It's not superficial, right? Like it seems like Snape is really caring for for Malfoy. I mean, he obviously made the Unbreakable Vow with Narcissa, but
1: am I right in thinking that Snape is Draco's godfather?
2: Ooh, is that? I've
1: never heard is that. I can't remember. That that's true, or is it something fan fiction again? Um, I think that he is his godfather. Let's see, Severus yes. Snape's
2: godfather. Is never ever the Godfather to Draco Malfoy? <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember
0: if it was explicitly said or not.
2: Dooley do. Hello, Wikia Answers. Uh, doesn't. Hmm. It doesn't look like it's. Is
1: it in the Pottermore information about Draco?
2: Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Lily wanted Snape to be Harry. Mm-hmm. I. I not know. No. no. Doesn't look like anybody's Draco coming up with any proper cite citation for it. So uh,
1: never mind. Well it could be that he
3: he uh. still may have known Draco for a lot of his life. I can see especially Lucius wanting to uh ingratiate himself with Snape because he knew that Draco would be going to um, to Hogwarts and that uh you know Snake was Snape well, I don't know if Snape was always head of the Slytherin House, you know but uh that he would be a good person for draco to uh, to know well
4: mhm
1: mhm but yeah he, i think he does genuinely care for draco um i mean he he is a teacher for a reason and not just because it would leave him close to dumbledore and and give him um a secure life i think you, you can't be a teacher that long and not actually care about your students um so that there, there has to be some redeeming qualities <laughs> to snape that that would see him care about people um even if that that person is just kind of the sons of your um former comrades um i think this this is an interesting thing because it's the first time we've come back to the unbreakable mm-hmm. vow and as readers, we've kind of been thinking all along, when are we going to find out more about Maybe this? Maybe even forgot about um, it and, a little while. <laughs> yeah, you you might have forgotten and gone, oh yeah, that was at the beginning <laughs> of the book. Uh, you might go back and read it again just to remind yourself of what it was. I think I did that the first time. Um, but it, it's interesting to see how Snape has developed from the beginning of the book to this point as well. Um, and obviously later on, we, we see the little memory of, of Snape's conversations kind of going on through this year when he, with with Dumbledore that we had no idea about but this is really giving us a little bit of a clue that he really does care and he wants the plans to go well and he wants to look after the students and he wants Malfoy to stop almost killing people by <laughs>
2: right. you know um, I, I i think that's why the this portion is written this way and why it's so well done is because like you guys said the unbreakable vow stuff and the the actual mystery, the core mystery of Half Blood Prince hasn't really been focused on for quite a few chapters, and mm-hmm. as we've said,
1: especially after this one, which is just so yes,
2: well, and as we've said before in previous episodes, I think that's because this mystery is not written the same as any of the other books because we know mm-hmm. th- like even though we don't know it's correct the first time we read it through it's correct like there's no hidden part of this mystery to it for us it's pretty much as laid out as it could possibly be um so i think the true shocker of that of this section of the chapter is snape's tone and that he's actually speaking in a mm-hmm. compassionate caring way he's actually you know he's not being he's not being clipped with his sentences he's being very like and he's he, and he's speaking with words that he never uses. Like he's inviting, you know, confidence. He's saying, "I can help you." He never says that phrase. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's this is a shocking side of Snape that we haven't seen. This, the, you know, this is the start of the the Snape revelations. Um, and I think Rosie, like you said, tying it in to the memories that we'll see in Deathly Hallows, I think that's perfect because I think this is the start of that because. Snape's tone in this section is the same exact tone he takes at the end in in those memories in Deathly Hallows. Um, So it's it's it seeing. I
3: guess I always read it more that he was, um, kind of saying what he needed using the tones that he needed that he thought would work more than being that it was. that he's panicking in his his own way uh, that Malfoy is, that things need to get done. And I mean, I do believe he generally doesn't want people to get hurt, um, but it felt more calculating. I guess uh, I think of so many people like Dumbledore and and Snape just being, of doing what needs to get done and and presenting things in the way they think will come off best. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think there, I think like Dumbledore too. There's a mixture of of genuine compassion with that. Yeah, with that and that, I like that. Answer. This is
3: cause I've never thought of it as, as genuine compassion. I, I, I like the idea kind of that there's a little bit of both, and it really helps me read this in a different way. I
1: think it really does rely on your interpretation of Snape. And we we know that yeah. so many people have such mm-hmm. polarizing yeah. opinions on Snape, um, and this is a real kind of nugget of information that you could I- you could read either way. The same as kind of every other interaction we see with him. It, ma- it would make um, sense to
2: me that's, that Snape does feel bad for Malfoy because not only does Snape know yeah. the lengths to which Voldemort will go to get revenge and exactly how he's doing it to Malfoy, which is grossly unfair, but he mm-hmm. also has the information from Dumbledore of what Malfoy's doing concisely and he and he's kind of also, I think, taking Dumbledore's tech that, you know, however this ends, we don't want Malfoy to kill anybody. Um, you know, we're we're kind of letting it go to extremes that it really shouldn't be going to yet. Yeah, like, you know, Katie Bell probably shouldn't have gone so far as to touch that necklace and almost <laughs> die. Um, but, you know, at the same time, we really don't want Malfoy to kill somebody because that would be a problem and it also would be a horrible thing for everybody to experience including Malfoy so I think there is that element there too Snape uh, you know because we know that by Deathly Hallows of course that Snape does have feelings so no matter how we feel about him he does have human the human capacity to feel from
1: a narrative standpoint it's actually really interesting to get this information now as well Mm -hmm. Um, we were saying earlier about how Harry Potter's is Fairly unusual in the fact that you grow up with the the narrator mm-hmm. or the the main character, at least if depending on how you kind of read the narrator um, and this is you know as kids you are very um, insular your your world is made up of the things that are connected most intimately with you, um, and you don 't really start to to look out at the world and consider other people complexly. Um, until you kind of hit, hit your late teens um, and and really kind of your world expands um, and you you really do start paying attention to things that are happening around you a bit mm-hmm. more and as a book this this book is doing that we we get those kind of three chapters at the beginning where we explore other narrative points that we 've never had before, um, so we we get the other minister and we get um, spinner 's end um, and in this scene we 're really kind of seeing. Both Harry starting to think about other people a bit more, starting to get a clue that perhaps there's a bit more going on than he ever really imagined with Draco and with Snape. Um, But we're also seeing from a narrative standpoint that we can kind of distance ourselves slightly more from Harry's kind of worldview now, and we can kind of get some more information and and learn some more about the world around us um, that is not completely clouded from Harry's point of view. So just as a as a growing up standpoint, it's, it's interesting that this would happen in this book so that the teenagers can also start to think about the world a bit more. Which complex. is another
2: reason I think why this book is so different in terms of its mystery, because like yeah. you said, Rosie, it requires us to actually step out of Harry's viewpoint a lot more than we have before. And therefore mm-hmm. the res- the solution to the mystery is given to us way more clearly than any of the other books. So to hold off on the revelations of the mystery until this chapter makes sense, actually, because you wouldn't have much of a book otherwise. Uh, I think, I think that is why I perhaps find Half-Blood Prince so impressive. It really doesn't fit with the tone of the other books. It's a very unique book, which I know a lot of the, Mm
4: -hmm.
2: our listeners and a lot of fans have a problem with um, because they feel it's unbalanced and that it maybe is inappropriate that how Harry's friends are acting kind of after what they've been through in book five. But the way it's written, I actually think it makes sense. And to give the book credit over the movie, I think the book transitions between that ebb and flow of dark and light better than the movie. Um, so I think it works fair the the one thing I was thinking of, actually, though, that this conversation reminded me of that I had to throw out for the listeners, because I know a lot of you in the comments have been trying to rip apart <laughs> ring theory and just a <laughs> i would agree throw you a throw you a bone um, this conversation reminds me of snape and quirrell's conversation in book 1 uh, yeah, because definitely. it's it's the same kind of Trying to get yeah it's the things. same thing where there's there's a lot given but just enough so that you could mistake what's going on
0: that wouldn't be ring theory though right because isn't yeah. this book supposed to well, be well that's very- it
2: that's just it I'm de- I'm ruining ring theory Oh for- <laughs> good. I support that because I not a fan of ring theory. Just a I'm breaking ring theory a little bit there good. because I think I think there is a strong connection in that particular bit. Like that's the Harry's done this before where he's only caught snatches of a conversation and he makes assumptions. But unlike with Quirrell and Snape, he's actually on the right track this time.
3: <laughs> Wasn't so. there another conversation he Yeah, there was a in book four though, there was a conversation he overheard with um uh, Snape and oh uh, the
1: Oh and Karkarov Bulgarian or well the what? Karkov. Yeah, yeah Karkov I kept thinking it started with the V. <laughs> <laughs> Which is interesting because the first time it's it's Snape and Quirrell who is actually Voldemort and Snape threatens mm-hmm. him. And the second time it's Snape and Karkarov who is a death eater who's scared and they're kind of trying to reassure him and say, don't panic, it'll all be okay. And this time it's Snape and Malfoy, who is pretty much on the verge of death if he doesn't do what Voldemort says. And Snape is trying to protect him. So it's interesting that all of these conversations has been Snape on the side of good, trying to make the bad stuff not happen. Um, But Harry always interprets it as the other way around. Mm-hmm. Snape yep. is good, people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, I would take issue with that, but uh, that, there's ample time to keep on discussing that. I just want to wrap up with the last bit of information we find out. Um, we already knew about the Unbreakable vow, but we do get um, some new information. Malfoy reveals to Snape that he's got people other than Crab and Goyle helping him out. Um, he will not include Snape, who he thinks is just looking for glory. glory. And then Malfoy... Um, ends the conversation by storming away. So we're left with um, knowing that the two of them um, have a very different relationship now and that there are other people helping Malfoy. We have no idea who or how. And that, of course, is the very important question. And the
2: chapter ends. That's a nice tantalizing thing to leave with. We haven't left with anything quite that tantalizing at the end of a chapter in Half-Blood Prince yet. That's yeah. A nice little Yeah, that's nice. And it's how because is it, are we in, like, the halfway? Yeah, we are. That, that, was, the half, that was the halfway, right? Chapter 15? Let's see. I think there's so,
3: yeah. The... yeah. I'm holding the book up. So <clears throat> it is right about halfway. Yeah, there's 30 chapters, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so
2: that, yeah, so nice, nice cliffhanger halfway through. Well done, Rowling.
1: It's the turning yes. point.
2: <laughs> Good <Yeah>. job, <laughs> Rowling. You might, <laughs> you're going to be big. <laughs> <laughs> you're going somewhere. <laughs> you're going somewhere. You're going places, kid.
1: well all that remains is for us to give you guys the question of the week for this week and it's been such a shippy (laughs) chapter with all of the romance going on um, and None of it has been Harry and Hermione, and I know loads of you out there are just complaining and saying, no, it should have been them. Yes, there's <laughs> so, so, there's so many. The, the, the
2: ocean is full of ships, and there's just really cannonballs <laughs> just fl- flying, and ships are ex- <laughs> Yes, it is, it's exciting. <laughs> just like the old days. Yeah,
1: so today's question of the week is a what would happen if, especially for you guys, <laughs> um, so what would happen, what would have happened even, um, if Harry and Hermione had gone to the party together? Uh, How would Ron have reacted to the news and would the events of the chapter and the party have gone any differently um, than how it actually ended up in the book? Write all of your cracky, shippy comments (laughs) (laughs) in the podcast question of the week um, thread on the main site.
2: I think that's a really good question because I I think listeners make sure to take into account the events of Deathly Hallows because I think that could really inform this podcast question really well. So Mm, there's a lot of possibilities there. But for now, uh, we wrap up the show by also, of course, thanking Allison. Allison, not only thank you for being on the show, but thank you for all the work you do for us by moderating the forums um, over in Olohomora. We we appreciate all the work. And we were so glad that you were finally able to come on and talk with us about Harry Potter instead of just typing. This has
3: been lots of fun. I should have done it sooner.
2: (laughs) Oh, well, we're glad you made it on before, at least before the end, because
0: we are getting close to and the end. We are so indeed. We're glad you made it on. Yeah. Thanks indeed for joining us. And if you would like to be on the show like Allison, head over to alohomora.mugglenet.com and check out the Be On The Show page. Um, if you have just a simple set of Apple or similar headphones, you're all set. <laughs> no fancy equipment is needed. And while you're there, you can download one of our free ringtones that are also on the main site.
1: And if you'd like to contact us in any other way, feel free. You can find us on Twitter at MN, on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash open the Dumbledore, on Tumblr at MN Alohamora Podcast. We can, uh, you can phone us on Skype on 206 Go Albus. That's 206 462 5287. And you can leave us an audio boom on alohomora.mugglenet.com. There's a little um, button on the sidebar. It's free, and all you need is a microphone. Just please keep it under sixty seconds, so we can include it on the show.
2: And to reiterate, listeners, if you are, if you even have an inkling that you would like to be on the show, but you're be holding back because of nerves, don't. Because there are only so many chapters left. We're the halfway through Half Blood Prince. Running out. So it's time to get on the show if you want to give your opinions. And do remember too that we have, we still have three movies left to watch. So there's also a chance to join the discussion during the movie discussion as well. Um, But in the meantime, while you're waiting for all of that to come up, we do have our Mora store where you can purchase many fabulous products, including house shirts as well as products themed after all of our hilarious inside jokes because we're so funny here at alohamora we've said things like Despig mandrake liberation front minerva is my home girl and all of those have ended up on various products in our store we have so many more products jokes to choose from so check out the main alohamora store on our website
1: i will be wearing my hug me i'm a hufflepuff t-shirt at um expo patronum this (laughs) (laughs) week.
0: nice (laughs) nice and also make sure to check out our smartphone app, which is available all throughout the Muggle world. Prices may vary depending on your location. It has really great things like transcripts, bloopers, alternate endings, host vlogs, and much more.
2: I like that we've squeezed like everybody's different... Way to say the smartphone app thing, like jammed it into the script.
0: (laughs) 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 All right, well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Aloha Mora. I'm Caleb Graves. I'm Michael Harley.
1: And I'm Rosie Morris. Thank you for listening to episode 133 of Aloha Mora.
2: Open the Dumbledore.
1: Of puff skein i was just listening to some of the other audio boos because i'm a teacher and my students made me really angry with some of the things that they posted so i just decided to do something totally different um and i was reading uh, listening to some of the previous audio boos and supreme mugwomp had um posted something about where she was listening to your podcasts and um i love the idea so I wanted to let you know that I almost always listen to your podcasts when I'm walking my dogs. And the length of the walk is dictated by the length of the episode. And they love it, by the way, when you guys have really, really long episodes. I do too, but they especially appreciate it. So on their behalf, and mine, thank you.